following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Broadcasting from deep inside the forests of Arborea, welcome to Flash Gordon Minute. Presenting your hosts, survivors of the Wood Beast Trial, Brad and Eric. It is minute 108 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how you doing? Brad, I, I, I feel like I ain't nobody. I, I always needed to be somebody. But I'm going to put my feet on the ground, put my hand on my heart, and lift my head to the stars. Well, speaking of stars... We have a special star guest with us this week. Eric, who is our guest? Yes, we have several super fans of our show uh, who are active in our Facebook group, uh, and they show us lots of love. And so we wanted to reward one fan to represent all of the super fans. And based on her activity in the Facebook group, uh, plus promoting us in other groups, we welcome on today's episode super fan, Susan Hill. Woohoo! I'm so happy to be here. Welcome. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that I've been able to finagle my way onto your show. <laughs> right now, you're just thinking, it's like, this would be the worst Make-A-Wish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I could have met John Cena, but I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I must be feeling pretty... This is not one that's like a really terminal illness. This is just when you, like, stub your toe. That's right. Well, I've already been to Disney, so, you know. Well, there you go. Then we're the next step. <laughs> and then it's... Movie by minute, yay! It's a small cult, but it, it's a it's a powerful one. I agree. We're a very vocal minority. Well, it's uh, Susan. It's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, we're, we're we've very much been looking forward to this, um, and uh, you, you you're you're part of our last week, so uh, you get to help us put an exclamation point on Flash Gordon minute. And uh, Eric, uh, it's action packed. Tell us what happens in minute one hundred eight. Closing <laughs> credits. A full minute of credits. Wow. wow. Okay, the end of the episode. Sorry, Susan. You got to be. <laughs> I, I will get onto the show any way I can. <laughs> well, we do actually have at the very, uh, as uh, in the opening frame of the closing credits, actually, Brad, we've got someone that uh, we didn't discuss this person specifically in depth earlier in the show, but we spent a lot of time discussing what he did. The Zarkov Brain Drain Sequence Director, Dennis Possel name pops up on the credits here and of course that the, the brain drain was one of the two most requested uh scenes back when we were scheduling this thing at the beginning uh that guests requested for uh it worked out that the brain drain was split across two weeks so two different guests got to be on the first half was with one guest on a, on a thursday and then on, on the following tuesday a second guest got to do the second half uh and of course it's a very famous sequence uh, in this movie so let's just, uh, you know, let's call that out since his name's popping up here. What, what was the other most requested? Uh, the tree stump battle. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Those That's... are two scenes that kind of freaked me out when I was a kid. There you go. It is yeah. the freakiest stuff. That and Clytus, um, him, and I know, Eric, I'm sorry, but Clytus meeting his end. <laughs> yeah, the, the tongue coming out of the mask. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, the, the brain drain, that was... Also, the most disturbing to me, and not just because of the gross factor or anything, because that that wasn't really there, but it 
it's one that's really sort of sad and affecting. And as we talked about when we did those minutes, especially now as an adult, uh, you know, it was weird when it happened, but now it's like, oh, I mean, the, the tree stump thing just now seems, it's still awesome and great and some some great effects in that, but it, it is silly. And as I went on and on and on about, really ticked me off how stupid it was. The thing about the brain drain, there's a couple of things. One is the way it was filmed, it, or the way it was edited, it's such a frantic piece of film. It's like it's stuttering film. It, it, it's got scenes of, of battle and all kinds of different things. And also, all that information is being sucked out of poor Zarkov's head, and I always felt really bad for him. But it's disturbing. Well, it is, because Zarkov, he's all about his mind. He, yes. He, you know, he, he's... he we. And uh, Topal is a f- perfectly you know, fine-looking individual, and he was in good dad bod shape. But especially when you're standing next to Sam Jones, you're not going to seem like an impressive physical specimen. Well, and also, of course, all he says, all he has is his mind. You know, please yeah. don't take my mind. Fortunately, he knew a lot of Beatles lyrics, so he got through it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's singing Yellow Submarine to himself quietly. Right. He's, one, he's actually one of my favorite characters in the movie. You might be the first person that said that. I know. I've, I've always had a thing for, like, secondary characters in movies. Like, my favorite uh, character in Star Wars is Wedge Antilles, which should tell you something right there. I love Wedge, too. He's hero, hero of the Rebellion. Love Wedge. He made it. He's the guy who always just sort of under the radar makes it. And never get, doesn't get a medal, either. Poor guy. No medal. Oh, the medal's sort Well, in all fairness, he did bail right in the middle of the final battle. Oh, don't get don't get into this battle with me, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not completely uh, thrilled. I've always had a little bit of problem. First off, Chewbacca deserved a damn medal. Well, that well, that's the big, that's the much bigger uh, injustice. Yeah, but I think uh, I think maybe you know Wedge in a smaller, lesser ceremony later probably got something pinned to him. That's what I like to think. Didn't have nearly as much uh, pompous circumstance. Maybe a nice sheet cake. Yeah, like he, <laughs> he got like you know like someone bought like a dozen donuts, you know. Space donuts. Yeah, they would call them space donuts because that's just how these movies work. <laughs> Everything space something in Star Wars. But Zarkov is is one of my favorite characters. I've always liked him since I was like when I, first time I saw this movie when I was probably like eight or nine. It's not easy being Zarkov because you know you have uh, the blonde bombshell Flash running around, and then of course you're. It's not hard not to be uh, overlooked when you have. You know Zoltan, bellowing every line. But uh, Zoltan, Brad, wow, Brad, Brad, okay. come on, Brad. We're in the last three episodes of the show. You can don't, do don't, fall apart, Ugh, don't <laughs> fall apart on me now. Don't fall apart on me now. Was was Zoltan? Wasn't that the? Uh... Are you thinking of? Are you thinking of uh, Zartan from GI Joe? I'm thinking. What was the the game that Tom Hanks' character played in Big that made him big? Zoltar, I think. Zoltar? Uh, I'm just mixing them all together. So, I think you just took Zarkov and Voltan and put them together. That is completely possible. <laughs> Folks, we're, uh, we're about, about as good a shape as uh, <laughs> the people who worked on this movie by the end of it. Well, you know what? We were falling apart in last week's episodes already. So, uh, <laughs> we, you know, we, we were tripping over our words a bit last week already. So, uh, it's just end of movie syndrome. It must be. Uh, but yeah, but it, it was hard. When you have all these big characters and all these big actors that you're competing against, but 
Zarkov did a wonderful job. I think he's he's great and not nearly as crazy as some people seem to think he is. He talks a lot of sense and he's right. Well, he's right. That's the yes. yeah. It, it turns out he's right. He's also sort of the cause for the near destruction of Earth. But besides that, okay, if we're if we're gonna nitpick. <laughs> <laughs> now, Susan, you uh, you said you were eight when you first saw this movie. So, what what do you remember about what uh, the first time you saw it? Well, when I first saw this movie, my dad had a, a CED player. I don't know if you guys know what a CED is. Um, a CED is uh, I wrote this down because I can never remember what the acronym stands for. It's a capacitance electronic disc. It's the precursor to laser discs. It was like a, almost like a record. It looked like vinyl. It was black. And you put the sleeve with the movie into the machine and you pulled it out. And then halfway through the movie, you had to turn it. And I, I remember, I can remember the smell of these discs. They had a particular smell. And I remember watching Flash Gordon and all the Star Wars movies on these discs. And sometimes they would skip. So there was parts of, of Flash Gordon that I never caught the, um, the words, like the, the actual text of, because it would skip over that part. And there's parts of um, when um, when Voltan is saying, you know, like, uh, Squadron 40, dive! That part, there's parts of that that I never heard until I got, I eventually got the movie on disc, like on Blu-ray or, or DVD, because it always skipped that part. <laughs> Does it seem that weird now watching it and you've almost gotten the, the, the skip stuck in your head like it's part of the movie? It is. I mean, to this day, like in uh, in in Star Wars, when they're going through hyperspace to to go to Alderaan, that I know in my head that's where I'm supposed to turn the disc. <laughs> that, that was in the early '80s. <laughs> my dad was big on all the different kinds of uh, technology. Some were winners, some were not. Yeah, that um, that was a swing and a miss. Um, yes. <laughs> I do not remember that particular. I, 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 yeah, I've never even. I don't think I've ever even heard of this uh, technology. It was developed by uh, by RCA. It was an analog video disc playback system, and it was completely mismanaged within RCA. And by the time they got their their craft together, uh, Betamax and VHS had come along. So they missed the boat on that one. But I will uh, post a picture of the uh, actual disc because my dad still has the disc. Yeah, there were a lot of. It, it was a funny time to be alive when compact disc started, and, and there were so many alternatives that have fallen by the way. So there was like digital tapes uh, that were supposed to, they were talking about being the alternative to CDs that nobody got in, nobody was interested in. And then as you said, the, the, um, the laser disc, uh, I remember I had an uncle that had a laser disc player and those were pretty cumbersome. And what's it, what was the, even recently, with Blu-ray, what was the other, uh, the alternative to Blu-ray? It was HD... HD DVD, yeah. Yeah. And that didn't work very well. My dad totally adopted that one. He he, he always backs a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I remember um, maybe, oh, 15 years ago or so, they released Terminator 2 on something called, like, Enhanced DVD or something like that. And I already had Terminator 2 on just regular DVD, and I was like, well, you know, what, what the hell is this? I'm not spending more money. And, you know, what is this enhanced DVD? And I don't think I ever saw any other movie released in that format. So I, I wonder what that was all about. I don't remember enhanced DVDs. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I think it was the only one. It must have been really obscure if my dad didn't adopt it. <laughs> yeah, there were just a lot of... Well, I mean, just let me guess. Your, your dad did have a beta, right? He had beta, then he had VHS, then he had super VHS. Laser discs were in there somewhere. 
HD DVDs, Blu-rays, everything. <laughs> okay, actually, I got it wrong. It's Extreme DVD. Whoa. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not even in it. It's Extreme DVD. No wonder it didn't catch on. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. Extreme DVD, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. That's like the only case I <laughs> I think they just... They just should have maybe tried another Arnold's movie while they were at it. Would it have been that hard to find the five people who wanted to see Last Action Hero again? <laughs> it might was have. This, was this before or after True Lies? Uh, 2003. I'm seeing that's the release 90s? of. So, and True Lies was 94. Yeah, 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 yeah. True Lies. Yeah. All right. It seems weird to ask this, but Eric, what else do we have in this minute? <laughs> well, let me, before I jump to the next credit I wanted to call out, let me just give Dennis Possle, uh that I did look at his IMDb page. He's only got a few credits on there. This is by far his biggest credit. Uh, and he appeared in a 1978 documentary with a very exciting name, Scientists in the Civil Service. Oh, dear God. Yes. That must be a fun documentary to watch. Oh my. Okay, let's take uh, something that isn't that interesting and give it the most boring name possible. <laughs> That's just terrible. It's absolutely there was boring. one name that I saw that stood out to me just because it was odd. And it's the artist for Skies and Clouds. And the name is Count Ul de Rico. Yes, and he was discussed on the show. Yeah. Um, Back way back at the beginning, this was that story that I told that I heard in some interview online with Mike Hodges, where he said that Dino De Laurentiis brought in some count to uh, paint the clouds in the skies, and it costs tens of thousands of dollars, and I think they never even used it. But he gets yeah. a credit. But he gets a credit. Have you heard his, his full name? No. Olderico Conte Groplero di Troppenberg. That is a name worthy of account. Yep. <laughs> People pass on from oxygen deprivation after saying that. <laughs> he wrote and he illustrated children's books. Yeah, he, he, he wrote and illustrated children's books. He also illustrated the never-ending story novel. And then, so he had a, he had a credit on the, on the movie as well because of that. Yeah, and actually, the, uh, Susan brought us to the next section of, of credits that I wanted to call out here. I wanted to uh, call out the skies and clouds section of the credits because we talked so much about it uh, during the movie. Let's give uh, these people their due. Uh, we had the Count that we just discussed. The other artist's name was Tom Adams. Uh, also listed in these credits, we've got the lighting cameraman, Harry Oaks, and this guy was real old school. He started back in the 40s. He worked on, he worked on a bunch of the Hammer horror films, Brad, and he also worked on Superman, Superman 3, Aliens, and Thunderbird, that really weird show with the puppets. There was a Thunderbirds movie, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, with Bill Paxton, um... And directed by Jonathan Frakes um, from St Star Trek. Wow, it was this 2004. Let that one escape my notice. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, well, it, nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we had the camera operator for that, David Litchfield, and he worked on Alien, Aliens, and Krull. And then we had someone whose title is Focus, whatever that means. Terry Pierce. He also worked on Alien and 2001. So those are our Skies and Clouds people calling them out uh, for all the uh, awesome Skies and Clouds we saw in this movie. They certainly get a lot of play. 
Well, and it's just a reminder of, you know, we all sort of, you know, people giggle about this movie and it's a little cult film. There were some major behind-the-scenes talents on this movie. I mean, that is that is an impressive pedigree. Uh, they are working on some of the biggest movies and some of the most beloved movies of the last half century. So, uh, yeah, that well, ain't nothing. Well, for example, uh, the casting for the UK by Mary Selway, she was in the casting department for one of the Harry Potter movies, Goblet of Fire, Master and Commander, Chronicles of Riddick, K-19, Widowmaker, Top Secret, Return of the Jedi, Raiders, Excalibur, Beetlejuice, Alien and Aliens, Lady Hawk, and Superman. Just just a crazy... First off, K-19, Widowmaker being involved with any good... Having anything DNA shared with the good movies is crazy. Yep. That's that submarine movie? Yeah, Yeah. Harrison Ford, I think, isn't it? Harrison Ford with a Russian accent. Yeah, a bad uh, Russian All right, I, yeah, I, I never saw it. I guess I'll stick away from that one. <laughs> no, I'll just I'll watch. That. I'll just rewatch Red October instead. There you go. You, with Sean Connery with a slightly less yes, ridiculous with Russian another, accent. Another bad Russian accent. Yes. <laughs> well, Sean Connery's the only uh, the only impersonation I can do. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I can talk like Sean Connery at the shade of my mouth. <laughs> Um, yeah, and of course it's, the difference of course being, Harrison Ford tried for a Russian accent, and he shouldn't be doing accents. I mean, Harrison Ford's Harrison Ford. Yeah, honestly, the only accent I can think of off the top of my head that I ever have heard him do was when he did the fake, uh, (laughs) Scottish accent in, uh, The Last Crusade. We've come to see the tapestries. Yeah, yeah. And it was brilliant because he, it wasn't supposed to be any good. Right, exactly. It was supposed to be bad. Uh, as opposed to Sean Connery, who's like, okay, you're, you're Russian. It's like, I'm going to talk the same. It's like, <laughs> okay. This is, my, this is my Russian accent. You'll like it. <laughs> uh, or, you know, God forbid, Highlander. What, what is he? He's Spaniard by way of Asia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's the only one who has a name that rivals uh, Count Ordorico. <laughs> Uh, so one thing I have to call out, we, we have some Queen music going on, and this might be, to, to me, the best Queen song from here, as opposed to what you would want to hear on the radio. This sounds like a real great radio song, as opposed to some of the other music, and it's all wonderful, but so much of it is so ingrained into, you know, like the opening theme, which is wonderful, but that, almost like that works best when it's the opening theme to Flash Gordon, as opposed to if you heard on the radio, it may not sing quite as well as what we have going on in this minute. Well, it's not an overtly Flash Gordon song, right? And it's got all the Queen, you know, uh, hallmarks. It's got the guitars and the Freddie Mercury lyrics and and, and singing and all that. It's just a great song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as I mentioned last week, this is actually my, this is my favorite song on the soundtrack and is one of my all-time favorite just songs. It's a it's a good one. It's it's a it damn is. good one. It's one of those ones that I keep forgetting it's on the soundtrack, and when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, I dig this. So the only other credit that I wanted to call out in this minute um, is Mike Crouch, who is the footsteps editor, uh, because I find that to be an interesting uh, role to have in a movie. Clearly, that you know was being done uh, foley artist 
uh, after the fact to get all the sounds of people walking around in the movie and that just seems like a real fun job to have where you just basically walk in place for a couple of weeks and they put the sounds of your feet in the movie uh and he would actually go on to a very long successful career in sound effects and sound effects editing he worked on chaplin he worked on the liam neeson les miserables he worked on die another day uh this was though one of his first jobs and he was the footsteps editor one of the things that amazes me about Foley all the time is that, like, a footstep is never actually a footstep in real life. Mm. They'll be, like, hitting, you know, a bat on a pillow on top of a sofa or something like that to make it sound like a footstep. You see all the things that Ben Burt used to do to make sounds for Star Wars. Incredible, the kind of imagination that Foley artist has to have. Oh, sure. I remember, uh, let's stick with Terminator 2. On the Terminator 2 DVD <laughs> I have, I remember they had some feature about the sounds and... They made the sound of like the uh, the T one thousand bubbling around in, in the steel mill. They showed a, a someone blowing a straw into like a bowl of like like a strawberry shake or something like that, and that was the sound they used. Oh, it's astounding the, 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 what they have to do to get these sounds right. I know um, for Jurassic Park, all the animals that they got together and mix their sounds to get the t-rex roar it was like a lion roar backwards mixed with a goat and it was really pretty fascinating it's amazing they have to have so much imagination and when they're out in the world like they're always on like they're always on duty we're out in the world and they hear something interesting they're always recording things randomly and putting it in their library yeah there's a lot of stuff online about ben burt and just uh, he the, the man just walks around with the recorder basically yeah <laughs> like, you know, hitting hitting wires on, uh, you know, like guy wires on poles and stuff like that. It's just like, this sounds great. I'm going to use this someday. Okay. Uh, that's my last uh, credit uh, item. Um, I do have another non-credit item that I wanted to mention uh, because we're almost at the end and this is a tidbit I haven't mentioned yet. So I, I got to get this in or it's never going to be said. Uh, in this day and age, any movie like this gets a video game. Uh, and they, they try to tap into that billion-dollar video game market. Well, Flash Gordon what came at a time when not everything got a video game, although, you know, uh, there, there really only was Atari back then. Maybe there was, what, like, te in television or ColecoVision or whatever, but Atari was the big game in town. They had their goods, they had their bads. There was indeed an Atari tie-in game to this movie released. Now, here's the problem, though. It was released in 1983, so it came out three years after the movie. And if you want to Google it for, for more info and, you know, to see actual gameplay, people have posted on YouTube looking for it there, too. But here's the one tidbit I'll drop uh, for everyone. It has literally nothing to do with the movie. The, 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 poster, <laughs> the poster art of the main poster is on the box, so it's called, you know, the Flash Gordon game. But it's just a spaceship flying around doing stuff. It's, and, and as I read online, it's actually just an adaptation of a game called Spider City. So the game itself literally has nothing to do with this movie or even really Flash Gordon in general. That is insane. Yes. <laughs> and two years after the fact. When yes, the movie that's the that problem. Successful. Exactly. They didn't even release it you know, within the six months. I mean, three years later. And these days, they're practically releasing them before the movies even come out. I mean, yes. It's crazy. Well, uh, what was the the real, uh, the really infamous case? The E.T. E.T., which I had, by the way. Oh, God, I heard that was terrible. 
you know, it's funny. I it, there there were I you know it was you know I mean I was like eight nine years old playing it. So to me, it was there were a couple of aspects that were definitely difficult, but I didn't hate it or anything like that. And it wasn't until this you know the internet blew up and then you started seeing all these websites devoted to how horrible the ET game was and then the infamous landfill and the documentary they made about it that I became aware of how reviled it was because as a kid it was just you know one of the many games I had yeah I well and here's the thing is one of the things I missed out on I um, I never had uh, a, a gaming console uh, would just be going over to my friend's houses and playing their game so and I remember the ColecoVision where they had the version of Pac-Man that was just a cats instead of ghosts chasing a mouse instead of Pac-Man. <laughs> and then if you ate the magic cheese, you turn into a dog and chase the cat. It was, yeah. Well, my dad, true to his form, backed in television uh, as far as video games go, so we didn't have any of the cool games. And then when Nintendo came out, uh, we got a, we got a, a, Gen- a Sega. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, Segas were pretty darn popular for a period of time. It was, he wasn't the only one. That That's not as bad as Beta. Yes, yeah, true. I'm sure my dad still is a Betamax player somewhere. They were supposed to be significantly better. They were. It was marketing, and uh, I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, what caused people to go to VHS instead of Beta, and th- there were a lot of mistakes. It was all the management level where the mistakes were made. Yeah, but we watched our CED, uh, I hate to say CED discs, I'm saying CED discs twice, but um, we we watched those for years, because I remember, like, if you wanted to buy a video on VHS, it was like $100. It was insane how much movies cost. You, you had to rent it, because you couldn't afford to buy a movie. Well, I, um, I worked at a video store when I was in high school, and yeah, they were $100. And, and folks, it wasn't like... Oh, if it was a really big, successful movie, it'd be a hundred dollars. No, Repossessed, starring Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> a terrible direct-to-video parody of Exorcist. It actually had Linda Blair in it because that's just where her life was. Would be a hundred bucks, and if if people didn't return the movies, the owners would actually hop in the car and drive to their house to get the movies back because wow. that was. A, a huge investment. Yes, it's a lot of money walking out the door. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was it, it was pretty crazy. And then slowly they pulled the price down, and the big blockbusters would come out. I remember, of all things, Pretty Woman was one that it was such a big movie, such a big seller that it was like twenty dollars each, and it, that was pretty like very low pricing for that because because they were able to have enough content like enough quantity out there to to sort of offset the cost yeah or you'd be diving through like the used bin at the dollar store at the dollar store that the uh video store to find like the you know because when the video stores would buy like you know 15 copies of the huge movie that came out this summer and then they would sell off like eight of them and you wanted to be there just in time to buy the movie for only 35 dollars oh well at least it was 35 dollars canadian for us oh okay trading pelts right (laughs) <laughs> that's right you know, I, 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 I you know pull up in my canoe and uh, throw some beaver pelts on the counter and say what do I get for this so well you can you get these two used movies and uh, there, there's Baker, Bare Naked Ladies CDs I don't even know why <laughs> uh, 
you know, Eric, I guess if, if we can't make fun of uh, the Jets this week, we can at least take a shot at uh, the Canadians. That's right. <laughs> well, this is actually, uh, it's our, uh, we had uh, our first Canadian just a couple of weeks ago. So we, we got in a couple of Canadians right at the end here. That's right. We're, we're so polite. We're just like, no, no, everybody else, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you for having me on your show, and I apologize for whatever it is I've done wrong. <laughs> okay, we'll go last. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know, I live, I live in Quebec, so we don't, a, we don't A so much. Oh, okay, gotcha. But I can speak two languages. What season of Degrassi Junior High were you on? <laughs> I never watched that. That is a stereotype that I won't accept. <laughs> oh, that's where we've gone too far? The canoes and the beaver pelts are fine. <laughs> no, I, I, I was a kids in the hall type girl. Oh, okay. oh, love the kids in the hall. I actually had, um, uh, oh, what's his name? I've completely blanked on his name. Uh, one of the kids. In, Dave no, Lee, Kevin no. McDonald. Scott. Kevin McDonald. I actually had Kevin McDonald sing me a song once. He came to. He was performing at our uh, our improv theater, and I was sitting in the front row. And he decided to sing a song to me. He improvised a song. I just wonder if that's what the kids in the hall did. They just went to all the people in Canada and sang for them. That's right. There's not that many of us. It won't take long. That is a specific advertising campaign. Just uh, this is called the Sing to Everybody. <laughs> that's my brush with Canadian fame. A true story. I uh, years ago, my wife and I took a trip to Punta Cana, a little nice little vacation. And I was wearing a Montreal Expos hat. Oh, yes. And it was just a weird thing. It was a period of time where I was really angry at my home team, the Phillies. And uh, I always liked the Expos because they were a plucky team. Yeah. So I bought an Expos hat. And we were, and, and I was there in the pool wearing my hat. And I made friends with a bunch of Canadians who were there. <laughs> and they were just so thrilled to see somebody with an Expos hat. I was like, wow. And it was just a, a huge group of people and couldn't have been any nicer. And I was like, why? You got a big group there. It's like, oh, yeah, there's there's 45 of us. It's like, so the last one out, did you turn off the lights in Canada? <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah like... Well, you should see you should see the whole country when the Cana- uh, the Canadians are playing in the Olympics in hockey. Like, the, the Canada just shut down. Like, we, we watched it in the cafeteria at my work. Like, we took time off work to watch the hockey. <laughs> <laughs> We're not a walking stereotype at all. No, 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 of course not. Uh, I got nothing else. Susan, this is your last chance to make any other comments about Flash Gordon you might want to squeeze in before we end. Two things. First of all, I was watching the movie last night and doing my homework, and I noticed that when um, Zarkov, uh, Flash, and Dale are doing the long walk and then, like, the lizard man passes behind them and gets disintegrated... That in his jacket, Zarkov has a pencil protector and a lot of pens. Mm-hmm. And I found that delightful. And second of all, uh, at the wedding ceremony, before the wedding ceremony takes place, they unroll this huge banner of Dale Arden, your empress-to-be. I'm wondering what happens to that banner. Do you think that uh, Flash has it in their bedroom? They turn that into a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> you take it to, let's take it to like Mongo Walmart and get it turned into like a quilt. <laughs> on all the cushions it would it, it would be weird of course you know it'd be that whole thing of her trying to put it in the living room on the wall he's like no dale we can't yeah it's it's tacky it's t- <laughs> it, it looks great honey but it's tacky what about what about in the ceiling in the bedroom would that be weird <laughs> that, that, i think that's the height of conceit <laughs> on whose part though 
I, I, it'd be her. It, it, yeah. I like to think of her like she wants rid of it and he won't let her get rid of it and it just <laughs> keeps appearing in different places. You know, one of those terrible couples that you see on vacation on the cruise where they have like their shirts is a picture of them. It's like, ugh. Oh, God. <laughs> Susan, this has been wonderful having you with us. Uh, do, do you have any pluggables to plug? Not really. If anyone wants to say anything to me, they can find me on Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex on the Facebook. All right, well, Eric, she's just completely undercut you, uh, your plugs. <laughs> I, that, that's fine with me. She is a Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex All-Star. I, that's fine with me letting her plug it today. All right, well, uh, we ask everyone to give us their rating reviews on iTunes. Uh, the more range reviews to get... The more um, uh, people that can, ha- the better visibility we have, the more people that can join the fun. And uh, it, Eric, it is a ton of fun. But uh, you know, this last week, I, I do have my uh, my concerns. Oh, I'm sure you do. And my concern is, Susan has been an amazing guest. She's just been a great guest, and we only have one more guest lined up. How are we going to top Susan? Well. Uh, how do you top Susan? How do you top anything? Uh, you know, how do you climb to the top of a mountain? How do you put a cherry on top of a chocolate sundae? Uh, how do you spin a top, Brad? I don't know the answers to any of these questions, and we're near to the end of the show, and my brain no longer cares. So if you don't know any of these things, you know what? Flash will save every one of us. (laughs) God almighty. Wow, you were just completely going into orbit on that one. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean come on, man. You're going tough on me in the last week here. Ugh. I thought you really had something there with Mountain, my last name being Hill. Oh! Uh. Attention, listeners. Follow us on Twitter on Flash Gordon Pod. Join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for the next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.